Yeah, I always track IRR. I think that's the most important metric that exists. Most people don't really understand that metric uh, because it's like the only metric that you can compare apples to apples because it includes both like cost, like the you know, taking present and future value into account, taking cash flows into account, compares it. Because if I put $100,000 in the stock market, put $100,000 into a real estate investment, the only way to compare those two is using IRR. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Well, recently we have been trying to have more passive investors on the show. So if you're listening, you're one of our passive investors or somebody else's. Either way, I'd love to have you on the show and dive into the questions that you have, but also the questions that maybe you had when you started passive investing. Maybe you know now, but you wish you had known years ago. I want to know those questions. I want to dive into those uh, so we can help our past investors and many other people as well. Our guest today has invested in over 30 syndications passively. He loves the passive side, you know, right, of investing in syndications. Uh, he did the active route for a while and and learned that, hey, this uh, that's a lot of work ultimately. And so he found syndications and now he has just, he's dove in head first. His name is Latanya Yahav. He's a passive real estate private equity investor who has invested as an LP, like I said, in more than 30 deals with various operators. He's learned a lot of lessons uh, that he's going to share today. He has a passion for generating passive income through real estate, uh, which led him to build a, a new startup. And uh, it's called Visor for, and it's for automating uh, management and control of these types of alternative investments, including other types of investments as well. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop to manage all your logins. And I know that can be kind of cumbersome. I experienced that myself, uh, you know, as I invest with different operators who are using different portals and, and whatnot and tracking those things, right? And, and so uh, you're going to learn a lot from Latan and, and just our conversation about starting investing and some things that were very important to him and what he learned and what he does now to ensure he knows those things. Latan, welcome to the show. Honored to dive into your experience in investing in syndications. It's the side of the equation that I'm wanting to talk about more on the show. And so passive investors, you're listening. I would love to have you as a guest. I would love to talk to you on the show so we can help other passive investors, of course, and just answer questions right about this process. And so you can invest with more confidence you know, as you meet operators and as you look at deals. And we're going to dive into that some of that today. Tell us a little bit more about you know your background in real estate. Why real estate? Why syndication? Let's dive into some things you've learned. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here and talking with you about this. I have a personal passion for passive investing and syndications, and we've been doing an amazing job in sort of conveying and teaching people about that. So, too shady. All right. So, I'll give you a little background about me. I'm 40 years old, married, I have three kids, born in the States. I moved to Israel when I was a kid, been here most of my life. That's where I'm at now, Israel. And it's important for the background. So, in Israel, I was in the military, for, I was in the Navy for six years and went to school and founded a startup. About 11 or 12 years ago. And that went well. Very weird industry. We can dive into that if you want. The diamond and jewelry industry. We did 3D imagery for diamonds. But anyway, we sold that company about eight years ago, made some money. And just for us in Israel, we don't really deal with the retirement side because that's pretty mandatory. So that like the equivalent to a 401k in Israel is mandatory as opposed to the US. And so in Israel, every person who has some money aside goes and starts to invest usually in real estate abroad. So it's like really common practice here to, to do that type of stuff. And because of that, there are a lot of operators and GPs in Israel that raise money in Israel for investing in real estate in the US and in Europe through these operate, like operators, GPs, either as capital raisers or as the operators themselves. And so 
eight years ago, we sold a company, we had some money, and so we went and tried multiple things at once. We went and bought two single-family homes, me and my co-founder in Ohio, sort of like a long-term, long-term rentals, tried that out, and simultaneously put some checks into some syndications. And it was like the single-family homes were just a lot of work, like a headache. And the performance was really bad. And it was just like, anyway, a lot of work. And at the same time, these syndications were generating ongoing cash flow, totally passive. Nothing we needed to think about. No one we had to talk to about it was all good. And the performance was more or less the same thing potentially as the single families. And from that point, we said, we're not doing these single family homes at all anymore. We want to be passive and let's find ways to generate enough income and, and returns on those passive investments. And so we just doubled down on syndications ever since. We only got rid of these single family homes like a year or two ago. It was a, a bad journey for us. I know that there's a flip side to that. But anyway, that's sort of how we got into real estate. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I've had a number of people from Israel, you know, reach out and want to partner or, uh, you know, in different ways uh, and said, it's neat to hear that. And so investing in your retirement, though, uh, is mandatory so that I can understand why there's capital there that people are trying to raise, right? To invest in these deals when it's mandatory that you're doing that. Uh, How is that regulated? The mandatory side isn't on investing towards your retirement. It's that a 401k equivalent is mandatory by law. So for example, if I'm an employee, my employer has to open a 401k for me and has to contribute money to that 401k. And I have to contribute for my salary as well. There's no choice by law. So what I mean, sort of Israelis feel that they're sort of set for retirement. It's in that sense. You have a 401k, you're going to be all right. All right, I have some money. Let's go invest abroad. So that's what a lot of Israelis do. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Well, you know, you you started a founder or actually you're in the military and then you, you, you founded a startup uh, and then had success, sold it. Uh, and then it's you had to figure out a way to invest this money, right? And, and thinking long term, obviously for your your family and and uh, maybe future family at the time. I don't know if you had kids at that time or not, but uh, yeah, it's incredible, right? Then you decided single family homes were were the path, uh, and I think that's so it's so common. I talked to so many investors who have done a similar thing uh, in one form or another. They you know, they went out and bought a single family home or two or duplex, and, and then they. They learn uh, ultimately the hard way that, hey, this is, I don't have the time to go find more of these. I don't have the time to manage them properly, do the renovations like I was hoping. Or if you calculate their time more times than not, it does not pay them near as well as, as, you know, most syndications would. You know, give the listeners a little dive into like how many deals have you invested in passively and, and what types of assets, that type of thing. Yeah. So uh, over the past eight years, we've done about 30 deals as LPs. I don't really care much about the asset class. I care more about the operator and the GP I invest with. It turned out there's a lot of multifamily value add type deals, some ground up development deals, some storage unit deals. But again, what matters to me is that I invest with people that I trust. And that was sort of the biggest hurdle. I think when you look, when you think of active versus passive, the only thing that's not passive, I guess, investing as an LP is going through the work of finding people you can trust to invest with. That's the process that, that I've been through over the past uh, eight years, learned a lot of lessons through that process, things that I should have asked at the beginning, that I should have known from my strategy, what my strategy was lo- would look like. And so I knew, yeah, I mean, we can dive into that as well if you want. Of course, I want to dive into that. <laughs> That's exactly right. So yeah, I just appreciate you highlighting though that you don't care about the asset class as much as you do trusting the operator. And I just stress that all the time myself, I get asked all the time about 
what should I know about the asset? Or, you know, when I'm investors are talking to other operators, what should I know about the market? These questions. And I say, there's tons of questions. You know, you can list, you know, hundreds of questions, right? That maybe you could ask an operator, man, how much time have you spent getting to know them, right? It's, it's like uh, everything can look so great on paper, but I mean, is this someone that I can trust when things don't go as expected, right? And often in real estate, especially you doing as many single family homes as you've done and with your experience, uh, even as an LP, you know, things often don't go completely as expected in real estate, right? But so, so I want to jump in there. What do you wish you had, not, or had asked early on? Or, you know, let's dive into some of the things that you know now that, hey, you know, you wish that you had asked those operators up front to have gotten to know them better or and let's dive into some mistakes there or or questions now that are like, you got to know these things before you're going to invest. I think first of all, it's like for like, what's the strategy? So our strategy was to be as passive as possible, and so this fit our strategy like a glove to be an LP investor. And also, sort of, we feel like we're really good. Me and my co-founder are really good, sort of judges of character. And so we found that for us, investing with people that we can trust is the the key. And initially, it was just like people that we know personally good friends of ours or good friends of good friends of ours, just because we get that sort of risk of them screwing us over out the door. I mean, the deals might not be the best or or they might the market might fall, but at least they're not going to screw us over. And then after sort of getting that out of the, out the door, it's sort of like, all right, now looking at the, the numbers and making sure that the numbers match my strategy. And over the years, sort of, right, if I'm going to invest in a, in a multifamily value type deal, the expected returns from a, the numbers perspective cannot be the same as a ground up development. Right, because it's higher risk. And so the numbers or the return potential should reflect that. And so it's really important for us to sort of identify the risk return variable and make sure it matches that strategy. And then sort of down the road. So like one of the things that we dove into was more I say a technical aspect of it, like what happens in a refinance event. And so like this is such a it's like one of those things where I don't think anyone really asks that much when they go in the door. Or, well, what's going to happen if you if there's a refi event? Like, what happens to my cash on cash, like my, my distributions? And I'll give you an example. So, the first syndication I invested in eight years ago or seven years ago, I think, was we put a hundred thousand dollars into a multifamily deal in Florida, and it was supposed, you know, the you know plain vanilla seven percent or eight percent pref, and then a seventy thirty split. Whole time was about. Like, Five to seven years, like pretty straightforward. I think that's like many of the deals, at least they were until now. But that was sort of what it looked like. And a year and a half into the deal, it was a refi event and we got like almost 70% back. So now instead of having $100,000 in the deal, I have $30,000 in the deal. But now for the past five or six years, my returns have only been on the 30000 remaining in the deal and they haven't sold the property yet. And so it's like, all right, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just say if I would have asked, I would have known to plan accordingly. And and I also learned that when I ask these questions, now each operator has a different structure. How do they distribute these, these returns when does a return of capital event? That's like an example from a refinance standpoint. Another example, again, and this is for me, there's no right or wrong here, but for us, it's like, how big is this operator? Also, even more important, what is an operator? Because when we invest, it's like, and this is okay, again, no, no, no right or wrong here, but I didn't know that I was investing with a capital rate and not the operator, or even like terminology-wise, what's a sponsor, what's a syndicate, and what's an operator? Those functions were not clear to us. And now I ask, right, and it's okay, but if you're the fundraiser and not the actual operator, I want to know who the operator is. If you're not going to tell me who the operator is, wait, we, I think we're going to have a problem. And personally, for me, I feel like I have enough access to good operators. I prefer to invest directly with the operator, not capital raiser. And there's there's some more stuff I can dive into, but that's like, I think the top, the top subjects, that, or the top questions that, that I'll ask. 
Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Yeah, that's some great topics right there. What happens when there's a refi, when there's a capital coming back to the deal in some form or fashion? Like, what happens? Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, you know, is ultimately is my, is it a return of my capital, on my capital? You know, what what is that uh, when I get it back? And then you you mentioned, uh, you know, the capital, you know, my investing with a capital raiser versus the operator themselves. Uh, and there's different trains of thought there for both sides of that story, you know, as well. I feel most want to partner directly with most operators, right? However, sometimes there's, there's relationships there where that quote capital raiser or, you know, you know, or hopefully they're, uh, they're almost like a fund manager, at, you know, really, but, and there's all kinds of legal ramifications around that. I would encourage you to explore. I'm no attorney, but uh, we can dive into it at a later time. But sometimes that person is, you know, they're doing some due diligence for their investors that maybe they couldn't do on their own and, and, and whatnot. And that can be valuable as well, or there's a relationship there. You're trusting that individual to do that vetting for you of operators and whatnot. But I wanted to back up to the trust component again. And because it's such a, it's so important to you. It's so important to me as well. You know, as I invest with other operators, uh, also, you know, you said like, uh, you know, investing with people you trust is key. And, you know, I just wanted you to dive in a little bit on how do you determine that? I know you said like, obviously, maybe it's a friend that you already trust, you know, a friend of a friend or, but maybe it's somebody you knew. What does that look like to develop that trust? You know, with somebody like yourself, very experienced. Uh, investor, you know, 30 plus uh, syndications. I mean, that's, you know, there's not many that have invested in that many. So, you know, how do you go about determining that level of trust with somebody before making that first investment? So that was a great question. We asked ourselves a few years ago, because, you know, our first like foremost was only with people we know. And then it was like, right, how do we expand that? How do we find more people we can trust? And again, it's creating those personal relationships with new people. And so one of the ways obviously is, you know, all right, let's expand our knowledge base and consume as much information as possible through podcasts, through online like forums. I joined like a few mastermind groups and one of them, I don't know if, if, uh, if you probably know GoBundance. So, I mean, I joined GoBundance and I invested with some guys in GoBundance. Any of these mastermind groups, it creates, especially the one that you pay to be part of, creates a threshold for good people usually. And so that's sort of like, one of the ways I found another thing is like these events that you go to and meet people face to face. I actually had a an operator reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just like a cold message on LinkedIn. I don't usually don't approve like LinkedIn unless I know the person. If I do, I want to hop on a Zoom call and get to know them. So then we can help each other down the road if it works. And this guy reached out to me and, and I just gave him a chance, right? And and I've had a bunch of Zoom calls. I've seen at a bunch of events and we've like gotten to know each other pretty well. And I feel like I, I feel like there's a level of trust there, which I would never have imagined would make any sense. This is someone random guy who, who reached out to me on LinkedIn, right? Uh, so I'm not saying this is foolproof. Also, I have another sort of not lesson, but sort of approach for me in investing is I don't like investing with the big guys. I don't like getting a deal every other week or every other month. I like it when there's a deal, like a few deals a year. That means 
that it's not a huge operation. That means they don't have hundreds and hundreds of LPs that they need to provide deal flow to. That means, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. They might be great operators, but the more deals you do, one of them is going to fail. It's like it's it's just like the way of statistics, right? And so I prefer to be in the with the smaller operators, even maybe the less experienced ones. But at least they're going to go all in and do whatever it takes to make sure that I make my money and for sure don't lose it. And usually the terms are better as well in terms of like waterfalls and splits and all that type of stuff. But anyway, that's a side note. No, that's some good points there too. And thinking about larger operators versus smaller, uh, and you know, even mentioned maybe they have less experience, uh, you know, as well potentially, but they have less operators that they're servicing, and there's there's not a demand to do a maybe another deal, you know, every month, you know, like you mentioned, or or even more often. So no, that's interesting. Even the example of the 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 guy reaching out you know, through LinkedIn as well, just cold. And, uh, but then over time, you know, you're building that trust, right? You're getting to know that individual and you're giving him a chance to do that. So you mentioned, you know, we talked about, you know, what happens to the capital when there's refinance, those things, and even the, you know, capital raiser versus operator, knowing that ahead of time. And, and then you know, what else, what else do you ask now that you wish you had known then, or it's like, man, I've got to know these things either about the operator or, or, you know, deal outside of the risk uh, return, you know, like we talked about uh, making sure that matches or level of risk and meeting your personal strategy. What else do you, man, you've got to know these things. Well, I think now moving forward, because all right, the, the past few years have been amazing, right? Across the board. And now we're like, all right, interest rates are going up. Market's going to be affected by that if it hasn't already. The world is going to look differently. And so when I talk with operators now, it's like, all right, the deals have to see and have to look different. Uh, it's a lot harder to find good deals. It's a lot harder to raise capital. And during that whole process, also, it's important to understand that operators, especially the smaller GPs, their cash flow is in closing the deal and at the end. And so ongoing, if they don't close deals, many times it'll be hard for them to have any type of cash flow from their business. And so they'll either have a different business as well, generating cash flow or do something else. And so something that, and then again, it's not right or wrong. It's just like you have to, understanding these things is important. That's why what I've been seeing lately is a lot of operators have been moving from single deals to funds. And the reason that that's happening is twofold, right? One is because it's really hard to find deals and operators prefer not to what not, not to have to lose a deal because they couldn't raise the capital. And so they're going to go and raise a fund so they have capital available to close a deal. But two, and I think this is also important to understand, it's it's okay, but it's important to understand that with a fund model, operators get cash flow even before an exit or before they reach, reach the first hurdle because there's a usually these funds have a management fee and a carry, which is basically the split. And so it's not, obviously, it varies like extremely, but that's like the simplest form of it. And it's important to understand those two aspects of single deal versus a fund. Not right or wrong, it's just you have to understand it, I think. And deals are going to look really different, I think, in the near future, especially from refi and um, performance standpoints. Yeah. Well, speak to your your preference or your thoughts on, on investing in a single asset fund you know, deal versus a multi-asset fund you know, like you're talking about. Or do you consider multi-asset funds as well? Uh, you know, and why? Or, or are you more strictly you know, on the single asset funds? It's all about the numbers. It's just like looking at an underlying asset. I don't really care as long as the numbers match what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for higher risk, higher returns, not extremely high, but I want to be in the double digits, like mid double digits or between like around 15, 18% IRR is what I usually look for in a deal. And again, if it's a usually funds for longer term, if it's a shorter term deal or fund, I want the performance, the, the returns usually to be 
higher, but, but it really depends. And again, like I said at the beginning, I, I put more focus on who I'm investing with as opposed to the structure of the deal. Yeah, when you rely on the trust factor, which I, I think you should a lot. I mean, you got to know that first thing. Uh, but a multi-asset fund, uh, specifically, if you don't know the deals that they're buying yet, there's a, a massive level of trust there, right? Like you've mentioned. And so, you know, what about uh, actually changing gears just a little bit and and some of the same type questions or thoughts? But you've invested in thirty, you know, plus syndications now. Obviously, the the market, the economic climate has, is changing, has changed. Uh, and probably going to continue to change. What do you predict or what do you expect over the next 12 to 18 months? And how does that affect you know the way you're passively investing right now? So first of all, just to know like on, on that moving forward. So for me, because I was such an, a passive addict over the years, when you accumulate this amount of, I think once we reach like five or 10 syndications, like I get emails from operators, again, good problems to have. I wouldn't even remember how much I invested. And is this distribution matching what I expected it should be? And I'll have multiple investor log into portals and stuff like that. And so that just became a headache for us. And our spreadsheets just became a break. And we ended up like building a new startup just to do that. Like our whole new, so looking forward, it's like, I want to keep streamlining the passive investing, add into that every type of other asset class within that sort of mix of investments. That's what we're doing at a new startup. But moving forward, I think that we're going to see a lot of these operators closing shop. I think... Those that were super successful or new to the game in the past few years might difficulties because the models don't work as they used to. So it's, and that will affect a lot, right? That'll affect the market, that will affect investors, appetite. I think sort of the zero risk returns now that you're getting like even cash deposit savings accounts, stuff like that is also like, why would I want to invest anywhere if I can get four or 5% zero risk return, right? Again, it's just like, that'll definitely affect the market. I think that, I mean, inflation has not sort of stopped as they expected. And I do predict that interest rates will continue to rise. So I just think it's really be diligent. But with that said, I think as a 180 to that, even though interest rates are high, the abnormal is not the rates now. The abnormal is what happened during the past 10 years. The rates were zero. And so people may have forget that. Like 30 years ago, like our interest rates were like in the double digits and still people bought and invested in real estate and made a fortune. So it's it's okay. It's okay to invest with high rates. Like what's the worst case? Worst case, the rates go up and you're still good because you have a fixed rate or something like that. They go down, you just refinance. And so it's not the end of the world, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of deals in the market. You want to find operators that know how to identify those deals. And the numbers need to be more conservative, I think, as opposed to what they were in the past few years. What do you like to see or, or, or you know, as far as ensuring this, the operator you're investing with is prepared for a downturn? Uh, you know, so it does get worse in some way, or maybe there's you know unexpected bowlers that go out at the property that you know that were that weren't very old or whatever it may be. How do you ensure that they're prepared for something like that that's that's unexpected? Listen, so there's one thing I want to emphasize: I am not a real estate expert. I'm a passive investing expert. I don't really look at the sort of that type of stuff. I do from speaking with a lot of operators. It's like all right, one is making sure the LTVs make sense, sort of loan to, to asset value makes sense. I think now moving forward, that'll be more sort of lower. So you'll have less loan to value, I think. It just makes it a more safer deal. Second is sort of not taking into account sort of in the business model, rent increases as much as they used to in the past or price increases as much as they used to in the past. So just like looking for more conservative numbers as opposed to they used to be in the past previous years. Are there any metrics that you're tracking 
for say your current project or any, anything. I don't even open that up to any personal metrics that you track uh, on a daily basis, but even as an LP on the, on the business side, anything you track uh, that you're watching very closely. I know a lot of times these have a, a life of, you know, like you said, three to five years or longer, but what are you tracking in the meantime? Yeah, I always track IRR. I think that's the most important metric that exists. Most people don't really understand that metric uh, because it's like the only metric that you compare apples to apples because it includes both like cost, like the you know, taking present and future value into account, taking cash flows into account, compares it. Because if I put $100,000 in the stock market, put $100,000 into a real estate investment, the only way to compare those two is using IRO. And that's like a, even sort of in the platform we've built, that's like the key metric to comparing performance of different types of asset, different types of asset classes. But the only thing you need to take into account when you do IRR, IRR depends on cash flow and cash flow alone. And so the problem with that sometimes is if I have a position, let's say in a real estate syndication, the position might be worth $100,000, but I haven't received that cash. And so if I want to calculate the IRR and compare it to a position in the S&P 500, I need to take into account that the cash that I have now has basically been distributed today. And then you can compare apples to apples. So anyway, that may be too technical, but but that's sort of the way I look at sort of metrics for performance. Yeah, no, I love that. I appreciate you going technical and diving in there to how you look at that. What about the, what's the number one thing that you would say has contributed to your success? Finding good people to, to invest with and stay on top of my investments. I hear so many people just like lose track and decide just to ignore stuff they get. And they're just like not aware of anything. Um, so I think sort of being on top of everything and and finding good people. Yeah, such an important part. Uh, what about uh, how do you like to give back? So I'm a tech founder, right? And so in our world of like tech entrepreneurship, it's always like helping younger entrepreneurs uh, in their journey of building a company, a startup or whatever. That's number one. And, but number two and more relevant to our conversation is I also love helping out LPs sort of just think about processes and, and identifying goals and I also think like the whole start of our new startup advisor is exactly that as well. It's like giving back to the community. Like we're trying to help people understand where other investors are investing, what syndications they're investing in, just create more transparency in our industry of private investments. So I think those are where I, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm happy to speak, talk, hop on an email conversation or talk with anyone who's interested in talking about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Otan. Grateful for your time today, just giving back, talking through 30 investments, you know, some, some big ticket questions that were important to you that you wish you had known back then. I know many people who have said the same thing about some of the things you mentioned. And then I know there's a number of things you mentioned today that they haven't thought of yet, and they're going to think about it now. Uh, So I'm grateful for that. Grateful for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, so I'm pretty active on uh, um, on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can reach out on our website, visor, V-Y-Z-E-R.co, or you can just drop me an email, litan at visor.co, V-Y-Z-E-R.co, uh, Facebook as well, anywhere. I'm pretty active, responsive, and available. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 